0: Welcome back everybody. This is Frank and Aaron with KafaroCast. Cast. We got Harold Farenbrook back in the house here to uh drop some knowledge on his many awesome uh Trad Trad Quest hunts. <laughs> trad <laughs> podcast with TradQuest, yeah. didn't
1: you? Yeah, I did actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Let yeah.
0: me scoot that mic
2: closer to you. There you go. See how that comes out. Um the uh yeah, those guys called me to make sure it was Cool that they did a podcast with you. I'm like, yeah, he was already on ours. I was like, yeah, that's cool with me. But I think um, after uh, getting you on ours and people hearing you on theirs, and people are gonna want to hear your basically you talk because you Mm -hmm. just don't find. You know, I use Randy Cooling and and uh, Denny Sturgis, right? They kill a bunch of stuff. I'll right. use them to bounce stuff off of you, the clums or whatever. But it's pretty hard to find guys that you know. You may find some insta famous guys, but you don't find that many guys. When I say social media famous, but guys that have truly just laid them down. Right. And uh, so, how how old are you now? Uh,
1: fifty six. So,
2: and you've been doing basically since birth.
1: Since uh, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't pull back the bow I had now, at, you know, out of the womb, but I, I was ready to <laughs> rock and roll pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. So, what, what from the? And now we just posted your podcast. Was it yesterday?
2: Uh, a couple of days ago. A couple of days ago, and I've gotten a ton of feedback on it. Um, I mean, a ton of just getting back on. Those are crazy stories. Also, some of the stuff was the fact that uh, it's there's something to be said. You're not a techie guy. You just go kill shit,
1: and you've had the same bow twenty years. Uh the bow the bow i was shooting forever until i took the bad fall i shot for like 26 years the bow i'm hunting now which still another palmer just 56 pound limbs rather than 70 i've shot that for the last three gotcha and then
2: you basically well i gave you some arrows the other day you're a if it ain't broke don't fix it guy correct um, And you're shooting, what were I gave you, what is it, 330, 340 axes? 340 axes, correct. And you shoot Palmer broadheads, Mike Palmers, right? Correct. Yeah. So has it been like that? You've just always just stuck with what works.
1: You've never really uh, screwed around too much? No. it's uh, For a long time, I shot wood, and it wasn't because um, um, I wanted to be like, walking around in leather pants and moccasins and things like that out there uh, as far as shooting traditional equipment. They just shot very well for me. And I had a gentleman out there, Jim Curley in Minnesota, who made the compressed tapered shafts. And, you know, by tapered, back there by where your fletching is, it's it's skinnier arrow to give, give you more room for your arrows off the shelf and that kind of thing. But if your arrows are balanced correctly, you don't have to worry about the shelf anyways or the riser. Yeah. But uh, they they flew great, but they're a 90-pound spline I had to have for a 70-pound bow, yeah. and it was just hard to come by. So when I took the bad fall and started getting back into lighter limbs, now that wood would be real easy to find. But well, I got introduced to carbon before that happened, and, I mean, they, they fly like a dream. They fly awesome. So everybody's like, man, you shot wood for such a long time, and— I mean, how come now you said you had a hard time finding it, but now you're shooting a 50, the uh, 60 pound bow. Those are easy wood to find. How come you're not going back? Because the carbon work. Yeah. I mean, so I don't really, I'm not out to try to fit the image of being called a traditional bow hunter. I just kind of, I would use the traditional equipment because uh, I shoot it well.
2: Well, Frank, Frank heard me yesterday go ham on a guy, not ham, but <laughs> he's, I guess it's a it's a sin to use a rangefinder and a trad bow, I guess. So, and I do. Um, yeah. And he was saying he was thinking about switching to it, even though he
0: kind of thought it was stupid. And I was like, What the fuck do you well, guys it, have against yeah. hitting what you're aiming at? Well, I think it was, they want to go so traditional that they're against the technology. But like I said last time, I think you were here, it's not like you're fucking whitewater <laughs> rafting to work. You know, <laughs> yeah, you're you using do. technology every day. Yeah. If you were going full on trad, I mean, you would be like what Harold just said, wearing. Leather chaps or whatever the fucking moccasins <laughs> yeah. and, and all that shit. So, um, I, you just shoot the trad bow because that's what you're the most lethal with.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not. It's I like the, the, the way I hunt. Uh, I feel I have the advantage of using a trad bow. um So, I mean, if I if I get within 15 yards of you, which is my goal. Um, then I've already won, even if I don't get a shot. I mean, it sounds kind of corny, but it, it is pretty gratifying walking up on a big old majestic buck get within 15 yards. Yeah, things happen, wind swirls, another animal comes in, busts you, that kind of thing. But man, if I can get that close, I can get in his living room, it's already really cool. And then, but uh, if he wants to take off running, and sometimes I do when you get that close, you are shooting a moving shot, I, I'm going to hit you with my traditional equipment. Yeah. Uh, as compared to a compound bow, I don't know how many people, maybe there are, but for snap shooting a compound bow, I just don't see it. No, we
2: talked about that. When it's close, there's I can think of several occasions where I was that close and it got up to just walk off. And by the time you get to full draw anchor, center your pin and your peep, which is probably what, two seconds? I mean, right? That's two. That's all you need with a stick bow, and that's two seconds. <laughs> you need at least that to get your shit together with a compound. So,
1: like what I've always told people, if I had a good friend that was stupid enough to put an apple on his head <laughs> and stand out there twenty yards, and I didn't want to kill him, I would I would use a compound bow. Yeah, I would uh, put that pin on it and and shoot that apple off his head. Now, if I didn't like anyone to take off running, I'd throw down the compound bow and I'd pick up my recurve and I would smack him.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, that's funny. What? Um, so with the, uh, uh, you know, the different, we covered a little bit. We talked about your your hunt down, um, your your bison hunt. And then we talked a little bit about the one um, brown bear hunt where his girlfriend was laying beside him. A little bit of a mule deer hunt. We didn't really get to talk about hunting that much. What, um, you know, have you like? What's I guess what some of the hunts you wanna you wanna bring up or talk about that are like for like forefront in your mind?
1: Um. Seems like I do most of my hunting now in Alaska. I've been guiding for Jonah for 11 years now. So, I mean, mule deer used to be my passion, you know, and um, I spent a ton of time above timberline. But not getting back from Alaska till the middle of September, that kind of ruins my mule deer hunt. Yeah. So I've been hunting through a lot of other people. Um, so you get that guy that is uh, – been saving his money. He's a blue collar worker. He finally has a doll sheep. He's got two weeks vacation year. He's taking that away from his wife and his kids. And they're saying, dad, we know how much this means to you. Good luck. Yeah, Go to Alaska and shoot your doll sheep. So that kind of guy there, you're going to bend over backwards for, you're going to do anything you can for this guy. And he's going to do anything you ask of him because he wants to be successful. And that's kind of what, uh, uh, I've got some pretty neat deals on that in regard to clients that I've been through. So even though I haven't been able to shoot, I'm not hunting myself. But when you got that kind of personality with you, it is pretty rewarding when they, it does all come together, and then they they get their ram and it is their dream come true. So that it still raises hairs on my back, and 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 not so emotional. I got tears run down my cheeks, but it is it is really cool to live that even through somebody else, even though you're not the one pulling the string back.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, As far as, uh, you know, hunts you've been on, you know, in the past or whatever, how much what what would you say? And I know we kind of talked about this before, but with uh, um, like you. Because I, cause I, I well, how many, you shoot, what do you say, 8 or 12 bucks between 180 and 210 or 220 or something? Yeah, I've shot, I've shot a decent amount of bucks, yeah. And then you, several <laughs> elk as well. Um, are any of those type of hunts sticking out in your mind? You, I know you got a book they wrote about you on your, your bison hunt, didn't they?
1: Yeah, and then I got interviewed by Epic Outdoors, which uh, was surprising to me because, uh, um uh, Jason Carter and uh, Garth Carter. Garth Carter, of course, hunting fool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see eye to eye with him or that magazine, mm-hmm. and for selfish reasons. And um, yeah, because they fuck up hunting spots like crazy. I yeah. would guess, and, and that's Epic, why I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> e- Epic's, Epic's the same way. He's just a, a you know the son of Garth, and it's kind of the same kind of setup. And and I mean, maybe I can touch on that a little bit. i mean, it's just, um, to me, you know, the way I did it. It was before GPS. This was before everything. I mean, I would be like hounding and hounding my dad to take me up into the woods. You know, he took me hunting, and then I'd see by this spot, by I-70, this always looked so freaking good that it was only 10 miles from where we'd always pull off to go hunting. And, uh, and finally, before I even had my driver's license, he takes me up there and called my bluff and said, okay, I'll pick you up here in three days. So that was my first, you know, get out there and do it, and I was— I think 14 years old, something like that. And just to try to figure out all the different void country, you know, I was like, man, this ravine looks awesome. This valley looks awesome. And then I get into a third valley, and I'm like, well, here's where all the deer and elk are. How come they're not back here? It looked better back here even than it does here. And working with the Division of Wildlife, Kathy Green, back in the day when I was keeping track of some sheep down in, uh, in some of the sheep units, You know, there's different nutrients that are in that grass. So it's more appealing to the animals to be in those drainages as opposed to others. So I took – I narrowed everything down to, you know, a 30-mile square area down into this is where they all are. Yeah. And then I had a friend of mine who I thought was a friend, somebody that kind of like what we're going to talk about probably later on about a lot of the guys with the trads that just never harvest anything. And so he wasn't getting nothing, wasn't getting nothing, wasn't getting nothing. All right, come with me. You know, I'm going to – Walk you through this and give you the best opportunity you can. I can't pull the string back for you, but I'm going to put you into just some animals because he just wasn't seeing them. Yeah. So get him up there and he didn't kill one, but he saw for the first time deer and elk and just opportunities out the ass. It was just his fault he didn't get one. Yeah. So next time, you know, next season comes up, I go to go up there. I can't find a place to park. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. So then I crawl back in there and I told him, I go, hey, keep this close to your chest. This is my, you know, this is my honey hole. This is, you know, it is national forest. It's anybody's land, but I found it. You know, if I bumped into you in here. Yeah, I, you worked. You did all
2: the work to figure yeah, this shit out. yeah.
1: And if I found you there and I didn't know you and I saw you, I'd know you worked your ass off too. And I'd shake your hand. There'd be no problem. Yeah. But the only reason you're in there is because I told you now you brought all your friends in here. They tell their friends. They tell their friends. So now I had to find a new place to hunt. Yeah. And those happens all the time. So part of being a hunter with your traditional compound or whatever is just respecting the opportunities you have. You don't you might call your buddy and said, Man, that was a kick ass time last year. If you got any room for me this year, I'd really love to go. That's a whole different deal. But to go ahead and assume it it's it, it ruins friendships. No, it does. I mean, Joe Bot's a good
2: example. I mean, I took him in and I still get along with him all right, but there was, I thought, an unwritten rule, don't go back. Motherfucker's in there every year with his buddies that they right. can draw. They don't call me and ask. Um, it is what it is. Nothing I can do about it. But I think, and you and I know, I don't want to mention any spots you and I've talked about, but being the fact we found the same goat in the mm-hmm. same hole, right? we earned that. So I was excited to talk to you about it because I've had to keep that mountain
0: goat under my chest. I don't think a lot of people know how much work goes into finding a spot and then they take it for granted. And then they go in there and ruin it for you. And then that's where shit gets. That's where I get violent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean.
1: And that's the whole lead into like hunting full and, you know, epic outdoors. You know, even though they they did a really nice article on me. It's, you know, they got like 18 pictures in there and four or five pages. And it was kind of like my life story from being a little kid all the way up to now. I was surprised they printed it because I told them my opinion on what I don't like their magazine. I don't like what they do. I mean, Jason. The last thing he's going to do when he's out there hunting big bucks in Nevada is want anybody out there hunting that same big buck. Yeah, he goes, send them everywhere else. He goes as far as buying a different truck every year, so nobody recognizes <laughs> his truck. Yeah, because people are that anal about it, they are falling around looking for Jason's truck and, and okay, this has got to be a good spot. So, I mean, he knows where we're coming from, but yet he makes his living on the magazine of telling everybody where to go. So, places that all of us hunt that might we might draw every other year, or every third year, because. That's just the way it is. All of a sudden, somebody comes in there that was invited by somebody like us. Mm -hmm. They see what's out there. They want to be the social media uh, hero and say, hey, I'm the one that, you know, walked uh, Garth Carter into this spot. And now all of a sudden, after Garth hunts it himself and gets everything that he wants out of there, now he's going to let the general public know about it. Now that what I was drawn every other year now turns into a once in a lifetime hunt.
0: Well, yeah. we got another guy that you took into your spot. Two different he, spot. he pops over a ridge, and there's a base in there. And all of a sudden, it's his It's his spot because we had never popped over into this base. It's like a fucking half mile from where we generally would, would – right. I mean, well, this is Aaron's yeah. spot. And it's right there, dude. Mm-hmm. And he's claimed this spot as his. Here, so here's – I mean, I'll just say it
2: because I want – I mean, honestly, I hope I run into him because I'm going to beat the shit out of him. And I hope <laughs> you're listening. Um – I put him in there because I was going to be gone, and I said, hey, dude, here's my spot. Go in there, and, and uh, here's the areas I've hunted, and I've killed elk right. in there and mule deer. And, um, and he, like Frank said, he popped over. He didn't go in it. He just saw it. He didn't actually walk down there. So, you know, we went back in there the next year, and we called him in a bull and killed it. He about died coming out. We had to send in a rescue team to come get him, but he's telling everybody that that was his spot, right, even though— out of the 20 square miles, that one fraction, I hadn't been in there either, but mm-hmm. he hopped up and looked down. No, not a big deal, but it was the kind of thing where it was like, um, how I, I don't want to get angry when talking about this, <laughs> but I've hunted that for nine years, right? right. Um, same spot you're talking about with the goat, right? Mm-hmm. Hunted that nine years, been everywhere in the world. And there's this one pocket that you see it on the map and everything else or whatever, you would have never seen that if i wouldn't have put you in there right not that it's that big of a deal but the amount of labor i put into getting in there and finding all of these areas multiple trips same with spots that he and i go to um that you know you talk I mean, whatever especially if you're on a full-time job off work friday night drive all night get to the trailhead hike in in the dark scout saturday and sunday hike back out go to work monday morning and then somebody calls you and it's like, hey, can you put me on a spot? Well, it's not that easy. And you've done it a lot longer than we have. It takes a lot of fucking effort, especially when you talk about when you're talking about as far as where they're feeding, where they're watering. I mean, because, as you know, you can go in certain basins that look perfect. They won't have a deer in it because it just doesn't have the different nutrients they mm-hmm. need, escape terrain, shit like that.
1: And then the, the scouting that you give up hunting because – The same animals I'm seeing above timberline and the mule deer in July or whatever doesn't mean they're going to be there August, September. The elk that you're seeing, a lot of times you'll see the herds and herds of cows or herds or herds of bulls, but you know, come the rut, that all changes. So the amount of scouting you're having to do during season um, that you're giving up your hunting time. I mean, you're hunting and scouting at the same time, but 90% of your focus is Okay, I know they're here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now I got to go find them. Because now that it's the rut, things have totally changed. So when you got that kind of homework into it, and then the following year, you now you already got it. You got it documented. You got it in your brain that okay, this is where I found them in September. Their chances are they're going to be here this next year. But when you got that kind of time into it, and you got somebody that uh, that that just doesn't they don't know because they've never done it. Yeah, uh, that's just the whole thing. You, you call them out on like, hey, this is my spot, and and they're like, well, it's National Forest. I'm like, they just don't get it. So you can't even have that argument with yeah, them. Yeah, but they yeah. wouldn't
0: end up there if you didn't tell
1: them. Exactly. And, the that's the, and that's that's yeah. where you lose friendships. It's no yeah. different than, yeah, trying to speak gun control to a lot of people. I mean, kids are confused about what bathroom to go in and what stuff <laughs> to eat. It's just like, you know, <laughs> why, <something> you <laughs> it's like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. He's got to stop it and walk away.
2: Well, and I've gotten, I got, bashed on for one area by some local guys and taking too many people in there and I called the one and I said man I've, I've taken this many people in there and they're my my friends and I was like I know you're taking every bit of that every year uh well I live here and I'm like yeah but I found this on my own like no one told me about this mm-hmm. area and I can understand them being irritated but I'm like hey I I put hard work into this. I know this unit as well as you do because I've been in here constantly to learn it. And I can understand how there would be frustration. But the same as you, if I run into someone back um, in the Weemanuch Wilderness and I'm 11 miles in, I'm like, hey, what's going on? Let's talk. You know, I'm yeah. going to be hunting over here. Where if it's my buddy I took the year before, I'm like, what the are hell you doing, doing here? here? <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> the there was difference. an unwritten rule here yeah. about this. And Frank brought it up recently for a total different circumstances that uh that I didn't even think about that we need to watch certain areas that that we hunt up in northwest Colorado because um you can even inadvertently screw yourself by an untrust person that you're not overly trusting of or, or don't know that well and really ruin it for a long time because the how would I put this the there's only going to be so many bucks in one basin, right, in in my opinion. And once all those big bucks are shot, in my opinion, it takes a long time for that basin to replenish itself with big deer again if you're in there killing them every year. There's going to be decent bucks in there. David Long's a prime example. He crushed the maroon bells. Um, Not that he meant to, but people figured out he was hunting down there, this one specific basin, I think there were 17 vehicles at the parking lot to get into that basin. <laughs> right. I mean, and that that area is ruined now. I mean, and he didn't mean to do it. That's just how it happened. He was a known person. And I'd have guys message me, I sat on that same rock David did. And I'm like, what, well, did you kill that same fucking deer David did? Because I didn't see your picture. Yeah. You know, but, right. I, you know,
1: <laughs> but. That's the first place I got. It's kind of funny you said that. I got it for Crystal River Outfitters uh, right there out of marble um, as a 16-year-old till I was about 21. Uh, a guy named Jack Smith was the outfitter up there. And that's, I mean, that was one of my beginnings of, he didn't do archery hunts. He did black powder and uh, and rifle. So I was able to scout. He got, you know, I got two birds, two things done at the same time. I was able to hunt and scout for his clients. But I know that like the back side of my hand up there too, because I got in it for three years and I got into country. I was already hunting, which is why he asked me to be there. And then, you know, with him having the horses, I was always looking at that country, you know, way off on the horizon that, man, is this logistically? Yeah, I could go over there, but logistically, I just really couldn't bring anything back. So unless I ate it there, which sometimes I'll bring a knife and a fork with me if I have to eat it there. Well, I know where you're talking about that. That'll make that'll eat up most men. I mean,
2: I've hiked into some of those far basins, especially when you see. You'll see all those elk in there, like when they have the snowfields left over, and those mm-hmm. I I call them hanging basins. Right. We would hike up to some of those, and you're right. I mean, two normal men would have a hell of a time
1: getting a bull out. One guy I don't think could do it. Yeah, that's just it. Logistically, it would just be like God, because I'm over there looking for goats for this guy, and I'm seeing I've seen these elk, you know, from you know two and a half three miles away, glassing with my spotting scope rather than my binoculars, because you're looking so far away. And just always wanting to be there. And then when I met Jack um, with the horses and stuff, we were able to get there. And uh, we beat a lot of our own trails there. Yeah. And it was uh, – got into some virgin territory that was, oh, my God, just phenomenal. And I spent a lot of my youth in the room Bells.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it down there. It's covered in leaf lickers now It's yeah. the only problem. There's a lot of hikers in there. There's uh, that there loop is. in there or whatever,
0: right? That like, what? That loop, that trail that people that do. That four-pass loop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is, is, uh, That's a What's-her-name was talking about doing? Who's that? The Cougar. (laughs) Oh, gotcha, the Cougar. Uh,
2: Frank was, can I say it? What? Hanging out with. (laughs)
0: uh, You've said it enough already about ten thousand times.
2: That uh, was going to do the four-pass loop. But I've been in there way off trail, and you get those guys that do the ridge-to-ridge-to-ridge off-trail. Laying in the prone, same thing happened in another area watching goats or watching mule deer, and here comes two dudes in Solomon tennis shoes with day packs, like literally a sandwich and a smile, and just scare the shit out of them running by you. And they're just going, and it's like, holy cow, this place is just populated down there now. And the other issue is bears, since they fucked up spring bear. Mm-hmm. There's a bear problem down there. You got to carry a bear. You're supposed to legally carry a bear canister down there for your food, right? Um, which is crazy. So let's tell you yeah, something. Yeah,
1: backpackers not going to be able to do that. Um, I mean, they. I don't want to get into the spring bear and some conversations I've had with, uh, you know, the Colorado Bighorn, the Colorado Bowhunter Bow Association. Association and uh, the D.O.W. It's just, uh, it blows my mind when it comes to that. I can get heated up pretty quick when it comes to that subject.
2: No, I can understand why, because, I mean, that is a good place to talk about like where where you were just talking about where you're at that was that we saw 18 bears in one spot back there not too far from where you're talking about in one fucking morning
1: oh in springtime yeah. and <laughs> there's not a time you can't glass above Tamberland and I find bears over in that country
2: oh and they were they were everywhere and I was like
1: there's a, i mean it was like rats
2: and uh if you see we we counted 18 uh, from one glassing point, we saw more bear than deer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's crazy. And because they're black and it's in green grass and they're trying to get that butt plug out when they first come out of right. the in, they're just everywhere. And uh, I'm like, you know, one, some of those bears are 500 pounders. I got a photo of one that's just a tank. And I'm like, what? what's one, it wouldn't be, it's not like you're going to just crush the population. Not that many guys are going to be able to get back there and there enough to where you can slow down the population and, and, and curb a little bit. And and when you see that many, I mean, you're not supposed to see bears that often. No, you're you know, not. Fuckers are everywhere. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and the and that wasn't even the reason why they stopped the bear scene. It was just the Republic of Boulder. I mean, yeah. they're cute, and why would you shoot them? Yeah, so, well, they're
2: cute till you watch me in a calf elk. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, pulling, helping them out for the birth. You know, pulling yeah. them out while they're waiting on it. I mean, that's uh, that's yeah, we wanted to go there, but um, I think we were going to touch on a little bit about uh, the guide. You know, my guiding experiences. I haven't done. A lot of the mule deer hunting in Colorado. I Do have one uh, situation that was kind of uh, with a with a grizzly bear up in Alaska, and I learned this process through Jonah, but and it works really really well. I had a client that wanted to have a get a grizzly bear out of Wyoming, and he had this grizzly bear out there, and he wasn't you know it was too much open country for us between him and and there to no cover. So I get down about 20 yards in front of this hunter and start blowing a predator call, and I'm laying <laughs> on my back kicking my legs in the air and my arms in the air, you know, because wanted, he wanted a visual. Yeah. So this thing's hauling ass. I mean, I, I can't see what the are doing, but I'm looking Jeez. at my hunters. <laughs> and this guy is all of a sudden standing up, doing jumper jacks, hollering and screaming and shit like that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. I'm like, like, did he turn around? I look up there, and it's still coming. I'm like, get ready. He's like, I don't want him no more. I, That's it. I'm, I'm finished. It ain't, <laughs> ain't going to happen. I mean, it. I was like. What am I doing wrong about ready to put this bear in your lap and you're yeah. trying to scare him away but it's not it's not up for it's not everybody's cup of tea uh, to have i guess a grizzly bear running down being put in their lap. Yeah, no kidding. I didn't think that one through um, <laughs> because yeah, I, Human decoy. I I was he was going he was looking at me, he wasn't looking at the hunter, you know. Yeah. So that's where uh, I shouldn't have taken a fall out of the tree and had some more common sense but <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, and as far as hunting for myself, um, uh, like I said, my passion was, you know, bighorn sheep, helping friends with uh, bighorn sheep. And at the same time, when you're looking for bigger sheep, you're obviously above timberline. So you're finding little pockets of mule deer, little pockets of elk and things like that. Now in Colorado, it seems like you're finding elk where you would typically find sheep. Yeah. And you're spending a lot of time above timberline. And, um, and whether that's because of, you know, now – we have compared 2015 where we had, you know, 20,000 bow hunters to 2016 where we had 47,000 bow hunters. Whether it's pressure, whether it's the people running around the spandex um, up there just... Pushing, pushing them. Pushing them. You know, they're, they're living in habitats and areas that, for my experience in many, many years, I never used to see elk there. Now that's where I look for elk. Um, and so... I can't remember where I was going with that. As far as the mule deer goes, I mean, you find these little pockets. So the last time I shot a nice mule deer, um, and he was that, he was a good class deer. I mean, rubber 190 type mule deer, and that was in one of the units we've kind of been talking about over the phone, um, I mean, over this uh podcast here, and it was just a, a unique situation where it was, I didn't even see this buck. I wasn't even after this buck. I was a buck after a buck that was a solid 180 buck, and. I got about 45 minutes to get to him before the thermal started to change and it was the only direction I could get to him. And I get about 30 yards from away and then all of a sudden came out the buck that I wanted to shoot. And I mean came out the buck I didn't know it was there but I ended up wanting to shoot. So I am in a range of the ones I went after but then this guy showed up. So then I'm I'm trying to like you know wait him out. knowing I got i on a timeline and sure shit everything got busted out cuz I got I got selfish. And I could have had the 180. I wanted the 190. Well, a day and a half later, it, it all worked out. And I kept my eyes on that 190. And I was able to just be relentless pursuing and getting. And it was uh, – I mean, I got him on the wall. He's a, he's a really nice buck. But that kind of brings me to some of the stuff that I want to talk about, if, if, if it's permittable, uh, the social media. I think a lot of the stuff you see on TV, not so much social media, but the TV, any of that kind of stuff, is – how it's turned into a contest you know i was watching a show and i don't get a lot of the hunting channels this is over to friends of mine in kansas where i whitetail deer hunt he watches nothing but hunting programs here's this guy shoots this mule deer and he lets i mean he lets a mule deer walk by that's like a 160. he lets another one walk by that's like a 170 and another two or three walk by like 160s and another one like one rubbing 180 but just kind of added. and then he finally shoots this really nice buck. Well, what he ever what that puts out there to a lot of people that have never hunted before, they think that's the way it needs to happen. And they what this guy should have said, and if it would have been me, it would have been like, you know, back in the day when I first picked up my bow, I'd have given my left nut to shoot that one sixty buck. Yeah. I'd have done anything to shoot that other buck, and I would have shot that buck. I am now – I wouldn't say I'm seasoned, but I've, I've got enough animals under my belt. and I've learned enough through trial and error that I feel I can afford the patience to go after the, the biggest of the big. And um, it's, it's the way I'm choosing the hunt. I've done the other part where I just wanted to fill my tag, put meat on my family's table. I've done that part, and I just got the confidence now that I can just hold tight go after my trophy buck and then the last couple of days of the season I can go ahead and change it up and shoot anything that walks by. But that's not what they're forecasting, there's like, the biggest is the only way to go. So you get a lot of these guys saying, yeah, man, I saw a lot of deer and passed up a lot of stuff. I'm like, hold it, you've never killed a big game animal in your life and you're telling me you're passing up stuff. Either you're full of shit (laughs) (laughs) or you're 100% stupid or what's the deal? But that's, that's just what being implanted in their head, no matter what program you watch is you, you got to get the big one. You got to hold out for the big one.
2: Yeah. No, you're right. And I mean, it is I, – I mean, there's a lot of guys I can think of in the industry like that. And we had a guy named Aaron Nielsen on here the other day that was – we were talking about trophy hunting or the word trophy hunting. And the one thing that we got that Aaron agreed on is everyone's trophy is different. In your case or Aaron's case, it's the biggest of the big is what you guys are looking for. And and for me, anything that is a decent animal – and I, I've shot a lot of stuff. I just – I get – I get jacked up and I shoot it. And oh, they, exactly. Nothing wrong with any of that. But I mean a buddy of mine, Derek, um he I mean he held to it. He said 190 or bust, he would never killed a deer, never killed an animal with a bow. What? And that's a fucking And uh pretty and he high. always gave me shit for shooting all kinds of stuff and I was like, "Well, look, dude, there's a hell of a lot better story. You, you got there's a lot to be learned." from executing 140 inch and 160 inch or whatever inch Mm -hmm. you got to pack out how to take care of the meat the shit you learn on a stock the thermals you learn a lot and it's hard to skip to that 190 when you haven't learned from 120 up right or from fork and horn up yeah and for I mean, to shoot a 190 buck is fucking almost impossible anyway with a recurve. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's difficult. To shoot one with a compound is difficult. To find one is pretty fucking hard. Right. So killing one, and in my experience, once they hit four and a half or five and a half, they're a different animal. They've gotten to a very, very, very smart they're, they're smarter than they used to be, especially in the high country. Oh, yeah,
1: they lost a few of their buddies along the way yeah. to get that age. <laughs> yeah, and they, and
2: they know what to do to stay right alive. And, I mean, that one, uh, the one buck I shot that's, um, I don't know, he's whatever, I don't know what he was, 172 or 168. That buck had a buddy with him, and the well, he had two buddies. When I stalked on him, you know, we're over here, they're over here, maybe 1,200 yards away. And the moment they bedded, I waited him for him to plant, and the guy I was with, he was like, what are you doing? I was like, man, we got to get them all to bed, or I'm going to fuck this up. Like, there can't be any stragglers, and I'm going to have to run to get there before they move, because the buck I was going after was over two, and I'm like, and he ain't stupid. Like, he's in a spot when he—once they bed, if he stays there, I'm going to be able to kill him. Just an example, when I put the stock on and I got up there, I had such tunnel vision on that one buck, there was a forked horn, like— 18 yards in front of me he was 40 and that forked horn i almost walked into him i just dumb shit right got Uh him he peter panned it off the cliff just went down (laughs) well the two big bucks one was a nine by eleven and one was a typical four by four that was just a ridiculous they didn't fuck around they've gone gone yeah the one i killed which was a four and a half year old buck he stood up like where'd dale and bill go and he got an arrow in his chest the Uh other ones that were three and a half and two and a half. They looked around for a while like, what the hell is going on? The two older bucks, they're already fucking a mile away, you know yeah. what I mean? Because they've been shot at before. they're in the next unit. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, they were running and gunning. I mean, the only thing good that happened out of that is I saw where they went and I learned their escape route, mm-hmm. which I didn't even know they could pass. But my point being on that is those deer... They get that big. They just needed to see that one buck take off where all the other ones just kind of stood up and looked around trying to figure it out. And once they get to that age, they and you, you know more than I do, they get pretty damn smart.
1: And that was my point earlier, and then that was another good example you just gave to lay on top of that to to, uh, to, to bring that point out even more, is that when you can get in their living room, as I say, with 15, 20 yards of that six five six seven year old buck, you've really accomplished something i mean he's he looks at you and has that stupid look on his face like how the hell did you ever get this close <laughs> yeah and and that's gratifying um and it, it it's it's disappointing when you can get that close and not get the shot mm-hmm. but at least you're still patting yourself on the back a little bit like man i got that close and um and you don't ever want to push a situation. it's just the stuff you learn through the years it's like oh man there he is and this race over there i mean you got to Sometimes if it's just not good, you got to sit back and you might not see him the next day, but you see him the third day. But yeah. that's that's that whole stuff where you're just studying that animal like you found out by bumping them, you found their escape routes. That buck I told you about uh, 10 minutes ago, when they took off, I found out his escape route. Yeah. I found out where he was living. And uh, so um, you can be smart. You, there could be two smart animals in the field, you and him. And it's you against him. And that's what makes me – my heart beat 100,000 miles an hour. So when I can be put myself, I mean, wouldn't say, in the competition of that 7-year-old buck and competition with me being 57 years old and and to still get in that his uncomfortable zone, then it's good. Yeah. No, it's, I, it's so
2: good. I mean, recently going to the stick bow, looking at the stock I did that I just talked about, I wouldn't have taken it with a stick because I knew it was a full-on – and frontal uh uh-huh. when well, I frontal shot but frontal assault of a 50 yard or less and there wasn't getting any closer right it, right where with a stick I wouldn't I wouldn't have done it right but with the compound I'm like if I pop over that ledge I'm good yeah
1: Where with the stick it would have probably been a two three day ordeal I wouldn't <laughs> and that's the issue that's the issue but that's the way when people are constantly saying they look at my picture out and they said man you did all this with a stick bow that is so awesome and you got you you're, you're challenging yourself so much more and I'm like no, I'm not. This is my choice. This is the way I hunt. I mean, I, it's, yeah. this is the way I do it. Yeah. And and I got
2: the advantage. And I would say on my end, I mean, I guess it's the challenge for sure, but I just get a different feel a lot like what you're talking about it, and he's heard me say, I just get a different feeling out of killing shit with a stick bow. It's different than me with a compound. It's because of the challenge. I guess maybe I don't look at it that way, but, I mean, that's a good example. That stock – that would have taken some time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't have been able to stalk that. I, I would have known that immediately because w- with rangefinders, I could range the deer and range where I had to shoot from. And I'm like, yep, yeah,
1: I'm not going to be able to make that shot, yeah. right? So, I mean, if my experience with mule deer, and you know, one of these days I'm going to get you guys up to my house. I have a wild game fry every year. But um, the I'd say at least 50-50, the same day I see that mule deer glassed up, bedded down above Timberline or anywhere – Fifty percent of the time, I can do a stock that day. Mm-hmm. But if it's not, then it's way off the pendulum the other way, where that could be a two and a half, three day deal. Yeah, if I want him that bad. Yep. I mean, that's that's what it turns into. Well, and that's I,
0: a lot of patience that. Yeah. Almost nobody. Almost <laughs> nobody has.
1: Well, that's what
2: I learned with, and I use my the comp the comp the compound bow as a crutch because I can shoot shit so mm-hmm. far. You've heard me talk about You're it, right. but. I can say, like, where I found that escape route, I mean, that's marked in my mind forever because if I draw that again, I'm probably going to kill one off that escape route because hunters that don't – I mean, those it hunters don't know what they're doing. We'll camp in the bottom of that basin. Those deer are on that hanging plateau, that hanging basin. They're going to look down there and be like, oh, shit. Season's on. Yep. Yeah. And then they're going to go up and over on that escape route, and my fat ass is coming over there, and I'm going to glass down and wait. And luckily for me, that wind is perfect up top. Now, this is what you were talking about and what things you've learned over time. The moment I watched him go up there, I'm like, what's fucking wind doing up there? Because that is a killing thing that they feel safe going Mm -hmm. over the top of that. They feel safe because they're crossing 13,000 feet and they don't see people up there. Those are things that I really have to take into consideration now that I have a stick bow in my hand compared to a compound where a compound. I can just stroll up there and shoot them out of their bed at 80 Fuck, that's a par four, right? I got to get in a lot closer. So reassessing my hunting situation um, with what I'm getting at with what you're talking about with the stick bow, my tactics have had to change where I would have watched that now and I would have come around the back and waited for him to cross.
1: Well, what's so neat about hunting above Timberline and how I've learned so much is watching some of these big bucks because uh, I don't know if this happened with your bucks or not, but if they're usually the big bucks they you're right in the living room when you jump them they'll take off any direction to make sure you don't kill them but then they don't go more than 100 yards before they're circling back and doing something else because they're not going to run with that wind yeah in, in their ass yep so if those bucks that you're talking about headed up to fourteen thousand feet feet heading up i'll guarantee you they're running with that wind in their face well and that's
2: yeah, I wasn't honestly going to give away too many secrets, yeah. but that, that is exactly what I took into consideration <laughs> right. was which way that wind's blowing. The cool thing is when they go up and over, and this is what, the, it, during the middle of the day, because uh, that was the morning when I stocked them, it's reverse. And so when they come back up from the other side, the wind is blowing opposite, right, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm like assessing in my mind. I'm like, okay, so all I've got to do is... Is hang back the whatever distance, and I can watch those fuckers on both sides and I can assess which way I need to go to get them on that game trail. Cause a stock in a bed's cool, but I could give a shit. I'll shoot one walking by me, figuring well, out which any way to go. Big, it's
1: hard to shoot one in his bed. I'd <laughs> yeah. rather
2: he be standing up. Well, and that's what I'm looking at when you get that pressure from one side of that valley or the other. They're gonna be crisscrossing on that. They feel safe. They get pressure on the one side, they're gonna go up and over to the side I was going after him on get pressure on the side i'm going after i'm like go up and over to the other side all i need to do is wait for some type of pressure from the bottom and be up there and watch and be patient and i'm for a real big buck the three and a half year olds are i mean i they're not i like shooting those they're dumb right Mm -hmm. they're a lot easier to kill but some of those big bucks especially over time and i'm sure you've seen it watching other hunters approach big bucks when you're glassing it's funny watching those big bucks, what they do, and being able to see. And then you put it in your mental notes like, oh, all right, that's how I'm going to kill them by watching someone else's maybe mistake.
1: Yeah, what I've done and how I've learned from my mistakes I jump that big buck. So I wait my, you know, after the crashing and burning, and you hear that thing going down the hill. Okay, he's never going to be back. But then a couple days later, you know, he's back. I mean, it it is true, and the biologists, they are part of right on that. They'll live in that five-mile square area, you know, their whole lives. So they know every escape route. They know everywhere to go. So when I would follow these things, I would end up right back where I was because where I was, I had the wind in my face, otherwise I wouldn't have been making the stock. Well, they want the wind in their face too when they're creepy crawling out of a situation they just got bumped out of. Now, the immediate explosion, they don't care which way they ran. So I'd be following their tracks, and... Every single time, they'd end up getting that wind back in their face. So then after time, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to cut this off at the pass. I already know he's taken off because I scared him. But instead of going this way, I'm going to cut around this way because wait for him. and wait for him because he is going to try to circle me back because he wants that wind. Yeah. So th- that's the kind of things you kind of learn, um, just trial and error. Just, just like, you know, don't throw your glasses up here. It's like I'm going to run over here and I'm going to throw my glasses up here because yeah, I have – been burnt so many times or just can't find him again
2: yeah no no i i mean i i yeah high country mule deer fun and elk aren't a whole lot different i mean they're different but elk every year rut in the same spot basically you Mm -hmm. know what i mean no i mean and the one thing and i've killed several bulls above tree line one of the areas that we both know you'll see six outfitter tents on the valley floor haven't seen an elk and you'll see 200 above tree line Mm -hmm. um so I've kind of have gotten to the point where I'll I hunt them like a mule deer to a certain extent. Obviously, a little bit different because um, they're hanging so high because of the pressure down low. Um, and that for me with a compound was easier. I say easier because I could shoot farther. But it's the same thing with the stick. As long as I can figure out where they're crossing up and over to get out of that pressure from down below. I can get on them or at least get close and call them in. And I don't know. with I know you've killed a bunch of elk. Do you call more, stock more, a little bit of everything?
1: I'd say 80% calling. Yeah. Uh, 20% not. I mean, the last good bull I shot up there in the area we're talking about where I got my whole camp stolen from me, um, they uh, I shot him the last day of the season. I got back from Alaska, I think, the 24th or the 25th. So there's only like three or three or four days left of the season. Hauled ass up there because it's close by. Put my backpack and hauled us up there, instantly got into elk above Timberline. And I have these, like, nine bulls about a third of a mile away from a herd of about 60 cows. And the cows had a couple spikes in it but and a couple raghorns. But, I mean, here it is the end of September, and I never heard a bugle. Yeah. So I don't know if it's because of all the hundreds and hundreds of hunting vehicles I drove by to get up there. Had pushed them all up there so they've been bugled at by every brand of bugle that there is out there so you know they just weren't going to talk i'd bugle and they would lift their heads up so in that situation there every you know two days in a row they came down this one little trail right down to the timber to you know once the sun started coming up beating on them too bad so i was like you know what um, i'm not going to be able to bugle them in i'm not going to be able to cow call them in so i'm going to go over there and ambush them and that was fun too Uh, and I shot a really decent bull. The only bad part of that trip is it was the best way for me to get them. I mean, I was about two miles from my camp above Timberline was to go straight down, come back up, get the rest of the meat, come back down again, and and get it packed out. And The following week, I was going to come up with my wife and my dogs and do some blue grouse hunting because I saw a ton of blue grouse. We packed one sleeping bag in because I already had my tent, my sleeping bag up there. We get up there, and somebody stole my brand-new tent, and this like they must have just left everything in the tents, what I'm picturing, and they just threw it over their shoulder and took, took off with off. everything. Yeah, and just stole everything.
2: It's you know? a shitty deal. But Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, up in that in those areas in the
2: the high country, they um, it like you say when they get they're still repeatable. I guess you could say. I mean, they still are. They're not like a whitetail, maybe, but they still do more or less the same things. And that's not to keep bringing up with the stick and how much I've had to change, but. Sometimes when you can't shoot 80 yards and you got to shoot 20, you got to think a little bit outside the box. And the one area I'm thinking that might be the exact area where you're at, they always take the same trail coming out mm-hmm. over and over and over where I would push the issue before with the compound because I could. Where now my ass would be parked on that trail and have an eight-yard shot coming right, right off the side. But with you, what's your – what's your? you said it's average distance of eight to 20 with elk for you, hasn't it, been?
1: Uh, easily. Yeah. I mean, if I, uh, I'd say 80% of mine, I've shot inside of 20 yards. Um, and I've shot, I mean, I used to draw three tags a year, uh, when I was really hot and heavy, went through a marriage, you know, I mean, I just didn't spend a whole lot of time at home. I mean, I was hunting either Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Drew to Mexico tags. I mean, I was, I was, I was stacking up a lot of animals. I was just had that, that just, uh, that, that drive. Yeah. That drive. I mean, sometimes I didn't know if I liked fishing more than hunting, but as soon as hunting came around then it was, it was, I liked hunting more than fishing, obviously, but, <laughs> but I just, I just want to be outside. I mean, I, I love fishing. I can't, I, the ice is breaking up. I can't wait to go, you know, wet a line and start, you know, fishing too. But, um, the being, I, yeah, the answer to your question, everything inside of 20 yards, I've shot stuff. Thirty yards, but uh, I mean, I can hit a paper plate every time at thirty yards. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ruin arrows. I never have been a target shooter. Never yeah. have. Um, but um, and and but, I shoot animals way different than I would ever shoot a target.
2: Yeah, and that's it's funny you bring that up because uh, that's one of the things I got a ton of comments on about you is that there's some guys that are target archers and some guys that are killers and not. I'm not going to say there's no target archers that aren't great hunters, because I'm sure there is. But for the most part, I get a lot of technical questions, messages that I don't have the answer to. I just learned how to tie a fucking nail knot to put my (laughs) knocking knocking point point on. on. I I mean, literally, I called feathers chicken feathers, because I didn't know. They just handed me feathers, and I glued them on the fucking shot, Mm and I shot shit. I didn't know, you know. I just went out and—I mean, the tuning thing, I wanted to learn to tune, but I didn't get into the minute— String walking and some of the other different shit that goes along now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I just Um, once I got proficient with the bow, I didn't really look further than that You know what I mean? I just needed to be able to shoot and and I I am a I do like to learn the the different stuff But like we're going to go through a 3d shoot Um this sunday. Uh, I do like shooting 3ds. It's fun. Um, just to practice that arc of the arrow because, you know, just getting new arrows and bows set up. And I think it's important to go shoot, stump shoot, or whatever, but I don't get... I don't... I mean, I think it's more important that you maybe get your shit together when you got an animal in front of you than it is to, you know, whatever, shoot a pie plate at 50 yards and string walk to do it. And I'm not saying... You know how string walking works? I'm just learning this myself. Have you... String walking? I've never heard of that. I didn't think you would have. So... And I'm not a fan of. I think I don't. And Cal with first light does it. So you you range the animal, and if it's 36, you walk your hand a distance from the knock down. So your 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 arrow could be up here, and your hand's here, and you pull back, and so it changes the angle of the arrow from your face, and then that that uh, that your your tip of your arrow is your point. I think your pin sort of.
1: Did that make hmm. any sense? It makes sense, but the thing is you're you're changing the kilter of the bow. You're I mean right well, now you're if changing
2: you, the flight of the fucking arrow too. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean right now. I mean if you shoot you know, a lot, a lot of the, the the true guys that are making the bowyers that if they are taking it seriously, they're asking their customer you shooting three fingers under. You're shooting one finger above because that makes a difference on where they where they set that at. Yeah. So whenever you know the 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 higher, you know, if you're any more than three sixteenths away from your limb, you know, more than three sixteenths away, then it's it's it's, it's your knocking point is going to be higher and higher and higher. Yeah. So I see what they're saying. I see what they're trying to accomplish, but they're kind of getting away from the instinctive part of it. I feel uh, is my personal opinion. Um, it's still. And what I would recommend even to you, Aaron, as far as, you know, still using your, you know, creature habit, you've been using that. And if, if it works for you, don't change a damn thing. But uh, to get that in your brain as far as instinctive is take that first shot by just instinct. Yeah. And it's like, Jesus Christ, I was two feet high, I was two feet low, whatever. And then say, okay, that was 40 yards. And it's, I would imagine in a, in a matter of time uh, of shooting that same target, same distance and things like that, it would start – the science of your brain would start kicking in. You it's know? funny you said
2: that because the video we just posted, that's what I'm doing. It, that's exactly. So what I did in 16 and, and what I'm doing now, and I can't remember exactly what the video said, but I said my point on, which is if I aim at the foot of the bear at 20 and I shot, I hit here. But my instinctual shot, which I just drew back and shot, is here, and it was a little bit higher. And the reason why is I got so used to my brain, the other bow. Mm-hmm. It just hit a little higher and so what i was saying was i'm just going to wing arrows all over hell's half acre instinctually to get in my brain you know get used to that shooting instinctively the the arc of the arrow where i use the rangefinder is 40 is what it is mm-hmm. um like i don't use it up close i just don't i don't need to um but like the mule deer in alberta um was 40 and that's my point on i shot that um pretty much inside a 35 which is going to be pretty much where I'm 40 is my max, right? It's, I'm, I'm doing what you're saying. And and it took me a while to wrap my head around it because of all these, like we're talking about, the theories. Okay, well, my problem is is the fucking point at 20 yards is so low, you're looking five feet below where you want to hit. And for me, I've got an ingrained in my brain, which I've talked to Frank, is you pick a spot and look at it and mm-hmm. burn it. Well, fuck, if I'm looking at the foot, <laughs> that ain't good, right? No, I'm not 100% no. certain why, it's why I didn't fit, miss you, that first
0: you, mule deer. Do you think it's it's better for a trad guy to have one bow? or? I think it's a one bow, one arrow, yeah. get your just shit together you get that Like it. he's saying, the science of your brain, you get that. You get well, to know that arc of the arrow and the, the whatever, all the speed and all that.
1: I'm still going through it. Like I shot that 70-pound bow for 26, 27, 27 years, and it was like an extension on my body. I mean, I just... If I if I I mean I I felt very confident with that bow um, where I could take and look at a a softball out there 20 yards away and and being in an archery range I mean I might not do very good but if you're a blue grouse after 20 yards I'm going to hit you every time yeah I mean that's just kind of the difference of me shooting animals compared to shooting targets and I get well, I don't know if I'm more focused more tunnel visioned uh, it, I'm I'm glad I have it I don't know. How I got it, I just—I'm glad I have that instinct and that ability to do that. Because I'd much rather shoot animals and be very proficient at it than than targets. Yeah, but I've seen you shoot. It's not like you suck. I mean, you're good shot. (laughs) I can, I I can, but it—it's—it's a lot of people. And to reverse that the other way, we touched on a little bit. Is they like, man, I'm ready to go. I, I'm, look at, I'm laying these arrows in here. I'm scoring 270s, 250s, whatever. I mean, that was me. Yeah.
2: 100% till I got humbled.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here they are doing that. So now, you know, okay, what broadheads do I buy? Just that. And yes, the other thing a lot of people that do, they don't shoot their broadheads into a broadhead target. Yeah. Um, and you need to, you know, sometimes make some adjustments for that. And the other things, people, that's so advantage over stick bows, over compound bows is when I'm hunting... I'm shooting at that pine cone out there 20 yards. I'm shooting at that gray squirrel. I'm shooting at an ant hill. I'm staying dialed in because everybody practices just religiously all summer long. And the l- last time they practice, once season starts, they never shoot their bow again until a dairy elk steps out in front of them. Yeah. I so, shoot all day in the field. Yeah. I, and that's so important. I mean, to me, it's important. No, I agree. And I mean, I'm glad because I'm super.
2: I guess say not prideful. I make fun of myself. Fuck, that was me, man. I was drilling it at 50 yards. Mm-hmm. Missed the bear between its feet. I think I just shit my pants a little yeah. bit. The second arrow, I hit it. But And I wrote an article about this. I'm like, okay, I got to fucking reassess the situation here. I don't have what I thought I had. I need to figure a few things more out. Thought I had it figured out, and I missed a mule deer. It wasn't a big 140-type buck. Three times in one sitting inside a 20—well, it was 18, 20— I don't know, whatever, and and we ranged it afterwards. I think it was eighteen, twenty-four, and twenty-seven. The twenty-seven-yard shot, I was all fucked up. I did not even know where I hit. I just winged an arrow, but but it was again. I was like, how did I how did I miss that? Right, like what what happened? Did I get fucked up and like pay attention to my point on and my instinctual? Did I just shit my pants and collapse? I mean, what happened? Well, I'm like, okay. I just need to get fucking closer, right? Like, and I told Frank that. I'm like, I just need to get closer. Well, fuck, I shot the next one at inches, right? Uh-huh. the one we talked about. Well, then an elk comes out, and he's not that far, 28, and uh, I hit it in the leg or something, and I'm like, well, I'm a killer. Like, I've never had these problems. What the fuck is going on with me? <laughs> like, like you know, and what it is is, and I, I did put a clicker on my bow, and some people have given me shit about it. I think it was looking back inconsistent draw because i just hadn't done it over and over and over so the one thing that i'm kind of leading up to with the stump shooting and the the broadheads is yeah i mean you know if you're inconsistently drawing if you're constantly winging arrows at unknown distances and not hitting them you're going to figure out real quick that maybe you're not shooting as accurately as you might need to compared to flat ground 20 30 40 over and over and over it's repetitive you can't fuck that up but if you're looking at a pine cone out there at 22 and then 34 and then 28, you can start to kind of inconsistently draw your bow or whatever. Not saying I've got my shit together now, but I certainly have a lot together a lot better because of what you're saying. Right. I was doing wrong.
1: Yeah. I mean, as far as the the stump shooting and things like that, it's it's, it's been instrumental for me in time. And... Um, uh, but th- that, but I'm not invincible either. I mean, I had to, to change the subject. In 2017 was my best year ever. I shot two really nice bulls. Shot of you know, an 81 inch antelope. I mean, I did. I was on cloud nine. I shot three arrows, killed three animals. And now all of a sudden I'm going out to uh, Nebraska mule deer hunting. And this is a giant class mule deer. This is a, a one that would make anybody just, you know give anything to get this animal and i and i had him i had him right right there i don't know how close he was this is how i mean i still got rattled i guess because my first shot went over his back about two inches he ran another 15 yards my next shot sits exact same spot inch and a half over his back and i would i would turn those two elk in and that antelope in in a heartbeat fictionally (laughs) say mother nature you can have them back Let me have this mule deer. I mean, it was that kind of a mule deer. I mean, it was – and I don't know what I did wrong. I mean, I I sit there and scratch my head as I hit the same spot, whether he was 20 or 30 yards in front of me or if he was uh, 15 or 20 yards in front of me. I Perfect left and right, but right over his shoulder, right over his back, inch and a half high. And I don't know. I haven't done that in a long time, and uh, so I got I got rattled, man. I mean, I got
2: what's it there? I that's a, kind of what because I, I have Paul watch me when we're shooting, just to you know peeking your head up mm-hmm. or down in the highs and lows. And I mean, it's there's a lot of catching features with a compound. You got the draw stop, you got the peep sight, you got whatever. Where with the stick? Well, I watched South the other day. He won't mind me miss. He shoots a buck, a big buck, and it's South makes Anyway, he. uh But I'm watching, and I'm like, watch his right elbow. And when he releases, it just comes straight forward. He collapsed, and he shot low. I'm like, how the fuck do you know if you did that or not? Like, that could have been what I I don't know. I mean, nobody was filming me. The only thing that got filmed was me looking for carbon all over the forest because I missed it. Exactly. There's just a lot going on. And, you know, I mean, which is nice having you, you know, talking about this stuff because if I would stress and, and, I mean, I shoot – arrow after arrow after arrow to try to ingrain in my brain with what you're talking about is if I'm sitting there on a trail and an animal comes by, I don't want to have to range it, right? I want to just be able to shoot it. Um, Where the ranging to me is important would be one antelope and two like Alberta. Um, It is so deceiving when you're going on them. You may think it's 26, it's 42. Yeah. When I saw mine at 40, I thought it was 70. I mean, I thought it was... but I mean, I killed it or whatever. But I mean, that's the thing is is more of the the, the confirming distance when you have to because it's unknown.
1: And the more and you're gonna find out, Aaron, if you stick with this. And I have a feeling at the personality you're going to, because you you want a challenge. Uh, I th- feel that's maybe I'm thinking outside the scope here. That's why you went back to shooting a stick, because it just is so automatic for you. But it can be with a compound. But now it could be automatic with a. Uh, uh, a stick bow so if you're let's say you're looking straight down over a cliff like a lot of this mule deer hunting is, is above town t- timberline shooting a bighorn sheep or whatever and you're shooting straight down and i've guided in alaska for as long as i have and i get all the bow hunters they're like i'm looking at it down there and it's 80 90 yards but their new state-of-the-art rangefinder says shoot for 30 mm-hmm. so but to have that rangefinder in your head yeah to where it's just automatic. You lean over the cliff like, "Oh shit, there he is!" and you and you just do it. To be able to take a ninety-yard shot and in your mind, you're shooting for thirty. Yeah. I mean, those kind of things are uh, is what really makes you just even if nobody's around, you're 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 just you just really feel good about yourself. You can't wipe the smile off your face and how gratifying it is to to all that science. To go in your little pea-sized brain, you know, it just—it's just like, how the hell did it do that? Well, but it all worked
2: out. You're right because we've talked it before. I I cut manually with a compound. I I well, I use the range, the angle comp now because it comes with it, but you still have to cut even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're right. Like shooting the trees outside of my house, which I shouldn't be doing, <laughs> um, out to forty, I'm comfortable there. I mean, I'm hitting them right. Mm-hmm. No range, just boom, boom. But I don't quite have the confidence at farther distances yet. And you're probably right. I'm sure I will. But I I don't think I would ever not bring a rangefinder in Alberta. I just don't think I would. It is so freaking deceiving. I don't know that I would always use it. I mean, if it's close, I'm going to shoot it. But certain for me, it would be hard for me not to take it just to confirm that distance if it's in its bed because it's so... Uh, deceiving the terrain, and maybe you're right. eventually, I won't have to. But at this point in time, it would be—I—I'm I, a pussy. I, I'm going to bring it. <laughs> right.
1: It's not, don't 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 try to. Um, I mean, if it works, it works. And if you're saying inside of 40 yards, you're spot on. You're not using it. Then I think you're going to get to the point that you're going to get out of that compound mode of you know what. I'm going to get close, so I never will need it. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm not going to shoot past 40 yards because that's not. That's doing more shooting, and taking a risk Ooh. as opposed to shooting a compound. Let me make sure you understand
2: though. I'm not going to shoot past forty. My point on's forty, so it's more of a confirmation, right? Um, right. To put my point on to the be do- more.
1: The don't break it. Keep doing it.
2: I mean, that's well. We'll see, man. A lot of this is. Far- I mean, I've killed a bunch of shit already, but a lot of this is still theory for me, right? Mm-hmm. And and for for me, um, well, we were shooting the other day. What are you thinking? You're laughing. Yeah. No, what do you think?
0: I was just thinking there's going to be the Snyder theory. The, oh, we were talking about the, the Ashby, Ashby theory. theory. I just read it
2: the other day about heavy arrows. And I'm like you, man, I don't fucking what who the Ashby was, right? And I oh, got yeah. tagged like you. I mean, I got a bunch of hate mail. You don't know who Ashby is? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, I never read his shit. I've heard his name. And I guess he's, well, I read it. It's about. Uh, heavy, you know, extreme front of center, like heavy arrow weight and good components and hmm. some other shit. Anyway, where my with with the, the trad bow for for me was shooting a recurve. Um, and my 40 and in is my like, OK, that's where I'm comfortable with, depending upon the animal, more like in Alabama, it got down to sub 20 because they're crack headed deer. Mm-hmm. But for me, if I'm setting up, let's say on a I'm calling. I'm gonna look around and I'm probably gonna range some 40 yard trees so I know my parameter, just so I know when it gets out there to put my point right on it. That's what I would use it for. But again, fuck man, who knows, right? I mean, I, <laughs> it, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. Uh, I mean, I say that I'll wing arrows at shit all day long after I got one arrow in them uh-huh. to get another in. But it's so. Going in last year thinking, hurts in 16, I'd shoot out to 50. That got stopped quick, right? Because right, right. I just figured this ain't fucking ain't happening, even though I was shooting good at 50. And then it got to where I'll just shoot them inside of 20, right? Which is what happened for the majority of the animals. Well, then we got to Alberta, and I wanted to have my point on at 40. And Lander told me to bring your rangefinder, B said, because you just want to confirm. And if you get to 40 and you can confirm that, kill it. It just happened that way. When I put that stock on, it's that buck right there that's on that back wall. Um, I mean, I, I got to 40, and I did. I stopped. I didn't think I could get any closer, and I didn't want to risk it. I knew there was a buck just to the left of me, and I couldn't see somewhere. Oh, I remember, yeah, that's smart our broadcast. Yeah, that was cool. And uh, I knew he was there. I just couldn't see him. Should I have waited for him to stand? I didn't want to risk it, and I knew I could kill that buck at 40. And I'm very candid about it. I'll shoot that fucking bastard every time like i knew i could hit him (laughs) Uh now if that buck was 140 and that one was 190 would i wait i think i'm gonna have to Or Lander's gonna shoot me this time like i'm gonna wait right but that's where that came from originally was was alberta because i hardly used it during the well my black bear i didn't use it the mule deer with you the elk i didn't i didn't use it on any of those it was alberta and i'm glad i had it um you probably just go up there and shoot it but I mean, I honestly, you know, when I got on those deer, which you would, you know, you hunting and and, and like Lander have killed so many different deer and he's guided and hunted in Alberta forever. When you're a kind of a greenhorn and you're not knowing what to expect with the the recurve, you know, for me, I'm looking at this vast terraced land and I'm just praying to God we get an opportunity like he and I had. I'm just waiting for one to bed under a cliff. And I totally fucked up my chance. I had one at 12 yards. And I came down, and there was a hole like this. There was no ranging involved, and I'm waiting, just waiting for him to stand, and I fear a big whoosh, and it pushes me forward, and I'm like, fuck. He's going to blow. Well, it was crazy. It didn't blow down. It was blowing out. So he must just have got a tingle of a whiff and stood up, and that hole was right in his vitals rangefinder, it wouldn't have mattered. I shot, and I probably shit my pants, right? Uh-huh. And and I still would have killed them if the branches weren't there, and I hit the top of the, the opening. And if I would have hit an inch lower, it would angle down and kill them, voted an inch higher, which is where I hit. It shot up into the moon. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was 12 yards, you know? And I mean, that was... That did not hurt me that day. That was like... I'm going to do this. Something big is going to fucking die. And right? that's an
1: awesome <laughs> practice. I mean, you brought up a good point, which I do all the time at my house. I mean, I've, I've had some of the guys at Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear come up and shoot my target. And they'll be the first. I got this, you know, this five foot by five foot, you know, compressed cardboard, but I don't have no targets on it. But with the snow and the rain and things like that, I always did this with my other, whether it be styrofoam targets, whatever. I always get a piece of cardboard out of somebody's uh, trash man at King Supers, whatever. And let it rain. If I even did that, I even put the garden hose on it. But there would be spots where it was wet, spots that it had dried, spots that it wasn't. So that always reminded me of uh, the spot, the focus in on picking a spot, that armpit here behind the shoulder. So, or a messed up something on their hide that is an area you want to shoot. So uh, when I shoot my target, I mean, I got arrows, you know, two, three feet, feet apart, but I'm hitting these little, little dark patches yeah. instead of a bullseye. So it helps train your eye. And what's really good to do especially with a bow, to learn that whole arc thing is to have a set of bushes in front of you 10 yards, but the animal you want to shoot is another 10 yards behind it or even 15 yards. Yeah. So you're shooting through that opening and with a compound bow, you put your pin on it and they're so flat shooting, you don't have to worry about an arc. Yeah. So you see that opening there and you're thinking, oh yeah, this is a no brainer. And then you shoot and then you nail it if you got a compound bow, but now you got to find an opening with a traditional equipment because of that arc. It's gotta be the first time you tried that, first time I did, I'm like, man, yeah, I can see him right there on the other side of that. And all I gotta do is get through that opening and he's gonna be dead on the other side, but my arrow landed under his belly, you know, because of that arc. So then you you start training yourself as okay, instinctively, even though I got these branches in my way, I can see him and you pull it up, and then you're like, There's no opening where I would be shooting. Right, right, right. So now you're looking at an opening like, okay, now I need to have an opening that he's not in it. But I need an opening for my arrow because that's the arc I'm going to have to consider. So it's it's a – just put yourself in any kind of obstacle course you can that you have simulated or try to simulate back home of a situation you were in. You're like, God, what could I have done? Could I have gotten an arrow to this thing? Especially if you are living in the woods or you got so much national forest in Colorado, go out there and simulate it. Go out there and try to figure it out.
2: Well, and that's one thing. And I did some – a decent amount of stump shooting – you know, in 16, but I think that's really good advice. Um, because we're talking about like backpack fishing trips, not all of them. I'm going to bring the the bow, but some of the closer ones just to practice. Cause that's one thing, you know, I shot three D's where maybe I was half squatting, which you happens with a 62 inch long bow. I have been doing that a lot more just to make sure, especially if the bow's leaning more and it's just all kinds of shit that I'm intrigued by to learn. I mean, and It is crazy getting that close. It is cool. Um, And I'm not – you know, I've shot animals close with a compound where you you haven't. You've always shot close where for me, I've shot some stuff at 10 yards, but it's more, you know, 30, 40, 50 or farther. Right. Where now, fuck, if I'm at 40, I'm still questioning. You know what I mean? I'm trying to Mm -hmm. get 20 yards closer. It's super exciting for me and especially – Talking to guys, which a ton of trad guys wanted to get you back on, because you just don't get that many guys that have killed as much as you have in those distances. That, I mean, really, I mean, I can't even compound guys. Even yeah, like Frank was all kinds of excited about trying to get closer just with his compound after you left, Um, because I've been a bad influence on him, (laughs) fucking sending it right. I mean, for before I could pick up the stick bow, because. Yeah, I mean, I used it as a crutch. Yeah. yeah, so it's good to have a different perspective on it. You know,
1: you go you go down the Rocky Mountain specialty gear. I mean, canter your bow all the way over. You know, because it might be a situation where elk's coming in, and you're up against it, and you go to shoot, and you're hitting a limb. You know, a, a, a tree limb. So now you got to to shoot. So this this canter your bow all the way over. You know, if you were shooting a compound bow, now all your pins are even, and they don't do the damn thing for you now. So, or even I've shot on my back before. Oh really? <laughs> That's why the serving on my string is a little thicker, so it can grab that knock. I mean, you want your knock to snap. So laying on your back, you can grab that string and kind of roll that string, and be able to shoot on your back. Yeah. I mean, you, if you just it's just it's child's play. It's uh, it's just fooling around. I'm like, what are you doing out there? I mean, <laughs> or even when she's gone with me on these stump shoots, I'm like, oh shit, there's a knock right there. And She's like, oh, sh- should I get the dogs? I'm like. It's it's an imaginary elk. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's you know. I mean that, that falling down tree and the and the way the colors. I mean, it's just like an elk, and I think I can get an arrow through there. And it's she goes, it's it's, it's like kids play. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is. You're an adult, but that's when you you kind of resort back to just being. I wouldn't say childish, but just make believe, have an imagination. Yeah. Having imaginations like, oh, man, this is, oh that shit. That's a mountain up in that tree, you know, and just 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 fooling around. It's kind
2: of fun. Yeah, no, no, it, I I agree. And I mean, it'll be interesting what goes on this year with it. I uh I I'm I'm excited and I'm glad I have guys like you in the in the clums to help me along and as well as um I, I talked I don't know if you know Randy or Denny, but two other trad guys. They're from Michigan, they hunt all over the place. Um, you may have guided them at one point in time, who knows? But they kind of say the same thing. Now they do use range finders, but their big thing is is you may not ever want to shoot past 40, but you should at least have a plan, whether it's with a rangefinder or without, or just practice for that second arrow. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To get another one off, because Denny's sheep hunt, for example, he shot his at 57 yards. He actually thought he hit it, but he missed the first arrow. It ran out. Well, he'd been practicing, so he was able, and he pinwheeled it at 57 Um you know, to at least practice with some distance for that potential follow-up arrow. For me, my problem, which this year I fixed, I didn't practice close enough. I mean, how often was I shooting at
0: forty? Yeah, pretty
2: often. Every day. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Never shot at twenty. Shit, man. If I shot a three D course, I learned real quick I was shooting over the back of everything. So this year, I'm practicing a lot from like sixteen to twenty eight, rather than forty. And
1: and do it all at the same time. So if you got that three D target in front of you. And you shoot it at thirty. And on the way to go grab that arrow, you shoot at twenty, you shoot at ten, and then do the exact process back, go all the way back to twenty, step back to ten. So you're training your brain. Yeah. So I don't know how to turn these things off.
2: <laughs> so No, you're you're right. I mean all that stuff you're saying is stuff he and I were. Or if you're just standing there, put a target at 18, 23, 25, and 31 and shoot 31, 22, 30, you know what I mean, back mm-hmm. and forth. And that's one thing I didn't do enough either and you can, uh, that, that I'm learning now to do.
1: And you can fool yourself by shooting at a target because once I got a broadhead in, I mean, a target in there and I can see my fletching, I can come within an inch or two of that arrow. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is you want to have, like, my target at home that has all these little darker spots in it because it's been there forever shoot that different spot at 10 yards then go back to 15 and shoot it again and then go back to 30. And then if you go back there to pull those arrows out and you're nailing all those spots at different places, it's, 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 you have trained your brain. Yeah. I mean, Mike Palmer, who I think is just uh, I mean he just got through doing a shoot, a five state tri shoot. So five different States came to this competition in Texas.
2: Mm-hmm. He won it. Yeah.
1: And, um, he taught me some things about instinctive shooting because I'm, I'm a horrible coach on telling people how to how to do it. I go, I, I just I just do it. Yeah. But I mean, he'll he'll take that bow. He'll tell people it's to put a target out there, tennis ball, and that's all I do at my house too. Is I'll chase a tennis ball around with a judo point. So every time you hit it, it bounces 20 yards in the air, land over here, boom, shoot it again, jumps 20 yards. I mean, you, uh, tennis balls are awesome. If you can do all those things with judo points, you are doing awesome. And it's a different situation every shot because if you hit it. It goes somewhere else, and if you don't, you try it again. Yes. Uh, so tennis balls are great, but he but he does, he'll shoot that ball from his hip. I mean, from down here. So it's like okay, you know, there's that tennis ball out there ten yards. You shoot, and you like you're you're a little bit off. So you put another arrow in, and your mind's telling you, you know what? It remembered that that wasn't where to hold the bow this time. Yeah. So you're, now you're not looking at anything. You're not. You don't. You're not looking down your arrow. You're not doing nothing. You are just purely. I could have used that hip stink. shooting technique in Idaho. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I so. missed a
2: fucking gagger in Idaho because uh, I'd never practiced like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's a. I mean, I don't want to beat. The, I don't want to bore any of your uh, people that might be listening to this. We we beat this up. I think people got a really good idea of. Of the difference between traditional, the difference between um, um, training your brain, uh, different tactics on how to do that, and um, and and take it to the course and 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 put it to you, see what you if you and come back and see, you kind of give us some feedback on how it worked for you.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I uh, no, I agree, and I, I, would say, I mean, you're a a one one bow one arrow type of a guy. I personally think that's the best way to do it. Make that one whatever bow it is an extension of your body and not screw around and and i was talking tommy she has like 50 bows or something (laughs) he He collects them i've
1: I've talked to tommy and and he he might hunt with a different bow every year that's still but it's a bow that year than a different bow this year and different you know that that's and it's just whatever tickles your trigger you know i mean that's just uh um he's in the bow business so he gets to shoot a bow quite a bit that's what he was saying, that
2: yeah. all of them has gone through his hands, but he usually shoots the one, you know, for the season. I, I can't. That's not me, man. I can't do that. Yeah. It's not me neither. It's not me either. I just, and I mean, again, there's no, I think you're right. There's no wrong or right. It's just, I mean, for me, it was one of the worst things I had to do is every year, if you're sponsored, you have to shoot a new compound. You mm-hmm. got to shoot the new one that's out. I hated resetting up a new bow because you know Betsy had just laid down 13, 15 animals, and right. now Betsy's going on archery talk for sale or getting given to a buddy. Where, I mean, with the with the recurve, I mean, I think that like you say, it becomes to where you can hit anything at any time without a rangefinder, and and I'm 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 a firm believer in that. My limited knowledge. Frank, you
0: got anything to add? You're not talking much over here. <laughs> no, I'm I'm enjoying the. The banter. I mean,
1: looking at it from the outside, I mean, as a guide, you know, I've been doing it for a long year. I do all the compound. I do all the archery hunts. And to see, you know, the movement of, you know, especially with the doll sheep. And and I'm a trad guy, so I'm always getting my guys close, as close. And a lot of these guys are saying, hey, this is good enough. I mean, I I can kill him from here. But it's uh, it's the whole thing of, you know, this, putting it back down again, just as they're grabbing a bow. Now that thing walked another 10 feet, so they're going – so it's just that extra move with that extra handicap of giving the animal the opportunity to see your location. And then with the compound bow, with a recurve, you're going up and you're shooting. And you just bring it back to your anchor point. You're shooting one continuous movement, and you can do it slow, 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 all the way out there, and anchor, shoot. Where a compound bow, you always got that breaking point. Yeah. And there's nothing that trigger – if you were to go like this with your hand when you're 15 yards away from a deer or an elk, they are going to look that direction. Yeah. Even if they weren't looking that direction, if you just – no noise, it went like this with your hand, that quick movement, it's just that that instinct they have. No different than you're standing in a crowd of people, and you kind of get that feeling like, who the hell's looking at me, and you're turning around. They just have that sixth sense. Well, as a as a that's what always happens so many times with grizzly bears brown bears or or sh- doll sheep is they they at breaking point they yeah. just they, they it's like it's like god damn he was eating he wasn't even looking this way <laughs> it, it, It's at breaking point you yeah. know? and now it walked another four or five feet looking over at shore like hey what the hell was that over that now I'm like I'm looking waiting for my bow hunter shoot and he's like now I guess the bring that back down again, grab this out of a shirt pocket because I went another 10 feet. Yeah. So it's just those things to me, it was just uh, insane. It was just, it just drove me crazy. And it made me feel that how much, that's what I said so many times. I think I'm at the advantage shooting a trap boat. Well,
2: and I hope I get to that point myself. And I mean, it's funny, bring that the rangefinder thing up different, but the same, but Brian in Alberta, when I was leading the stock and we walked into the We knew the buck was in there, but we got in there and just happened he was at the front of the basin, dropped down to our knees, and I poked my head up and ranged him. And I think the second time I poked my head up to range him, I said, look, we are heavily increasing the chance of fucking this up every time Mm -hmm. I poke my head above these bushes. Yep. You're going to need to shoot him soon, or I need to stop ranging him and he needs to get real close. But I can't keep up my fat ass head above these bushes because he's going to see us. Because, you know, I'm like— but it's <laughs> exactly. only three inches, right? But it's three inches he could see, yeah. Yeah. and I got a fat head. And yeah. uh, that is something where, I mean, now that deer was, was 40, but, you know, taking it to the stick bow, 40 wouldn't have been an option in those conditions. right? My ass wouldn't have popped my head up for quite a while. And we were talking about that with the antelope earlier. The difference is, right, I would have just hunkered down and waited a while knowing that when I popped back up that next time he was going to die, where with the rangefinder and the compound, it, it is a different it's a different ball game. So, no, it's uh, it's cool. What, um, as far as, um, like, have you had any major, I'd say, but major fuck-ups with the stick bow that you, um, like, it, it, as rudimentary as this is, backup strings, things like this. Have you done anything stupid with your bow that might lean it up against the wall, twist a limb, leave it in a truck, cut a string, anything like that?
1: Not, uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've blocked them out, most of them. Uh, but, uh <laughs> Anything for the <laughs> listeners to learn from. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously, um, I I mean, I never unstring my bow at home. I, mean, I don't either. Yeah. And uh, it stays strong, but I'm not stupid enough to leave it in trunk of my car to go out to La Punt and when that trunk could be you know over 100 degrees inside there. With that said, I mean I had which is the reason why I mean the guy who helped me the my first bow was a Colorado bighorn. I mean real bow. I mean my first two bow, first bow I ever shot, and then my first two big game animals. Was at a bow I bought at the flea market. It was a fiberglass bow. It was yellow and white, and that's what I shot my first elk with. That's what I shot my first deer with. Mm-hmm. And then I got to meet a guy that knew Fred Azebel, Dick Miller, and he introduced me to him. He was building Colorado Bighorn bows up there in Brighton. So he helped me do this, and I got my first. I mean, this was you know a $900 bow for me back in 1981, 82. That's 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 a lot of money. That's a back lot then. Of money. Yeah. Um, just thank God for trapping. I mean, that's how I was able to afford that bow. But um, uh God, where was I going with that? What were we talking about? We were about? talking about screw oh, ups. The, yeah, screw ups. So I ended up um, used that bow a couple times, and uh, the, one of the limbs broke. And just, just whatever. It wasn't because I ran over it with a vehicle or nothing like that. I pulled it back, started getting a crack in it. Thought I could wiggle through it and pulled shot a few more times, and yeah, it, it was done. So, but by that time. Uh, Fred had sold it to King of the Mountain, and he moved everything up to Loveland. So I went up there and told him I needed another limb, you know, so he made me another set of limbs. Went out there to go antelope hunting, and I'm sitting inside of a blind, and I'm looking at, my, I'm looking at these antelope coming. I reach over to grab my bow, and it's not strong. It's not – I'm like <laughs> – well, That's not good. <laughs> There's no way that even with my pea-sized brain, I didn't walk out. I know I shot those yucca plants on the way out here. What's going on? So I go to restring it and it won't stay strong because the limbs he made me turn into like wet noodles. It oh. would not it would twist and roll that string right back down the limb again. So here I got these bucks coming and I had to watch them drink and I couldn't do a dang thing about it. So I was a little bit pissed. So I take it back to King of the Mountain and said, hey, this thing's – and they're like, no, you kept this in the backseat of your car or in your trunk or something like that. I go, hey – Admittedly, I'm sitting there inside my antelope blind in my underwear because it's like a an oven in there. If anybody's hunting out of a blind during antelope season, I mean it get a bit yeah. damn hot. So I go, it was maybe in that kind of environment. Are You telling me that I can't hunt antelope with your bow yeah. or mule deer in Nevada with your bow? I mean I can't do that. Um, I guess not. So huh. that was the that's end of Colorado Bighorn. I would never own another one and that was <laughs> it for that. And that's and then that same year I got that, that's when I got set up with Mike Palmer.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And I I shoot the shit out of that Palmer bow. Um, that was like the bow, like the when I started shooting. That was the one I, I, you I grabbed, grabbed
1: Tom's and, and says, Man, I gotta get one of these yeah. type of things. Yep. Yeah,
2: it was. And um it uh Jesus, is that you or me? Uh, That's this one. I thought I
1: turned it off. I don't know. Before I leave here, I'm going to have you show me how to (laughs) use this phone as far as you sent me that link. And I don't – I can't figure it out. Gotcha. Yeah, I definitely – that's
2: another thing I think certain bows, um, and I say speak to different people. Like there's going to be one bow if you get a chance to shoot a few. One of them is going to – you're going to shoot better than the other one. For that me, that that Palmer shoots really well for me. Um, I shoot that Rampart well. I shoot the Black Widow well. And then there's other bows that – I can't hit shit. I can do okay, but there's other bows. I just don't like the feel of them, and it's probably that way for everybody. Um, yeah, um,
1: some of them will shock your hand. Somebody has the. Some of them have the finger pinch. Some of them really stack up. I mean, when you do fit that, you, you do get that feeling. It's like. Like the brand new set of gloves, like, man, this, I, I like these, or the pair of boots you put on. I mean, it's, it's that same way with a bow. So,
2: oh, for sure. Well, we're on an hour and a half almost. So, we Holy should probably, yeah, I know, Curling by. Is there anything else you want to talk about? We can talk as long as you want. So, no, is there
1: no we're, I mean, we can, uh, we still end up getting uh, on to different subjects, which is why these, I. The, it's so fun about doing these things. Coming here to try to tell a few hunting stories and the guy gets sidetracked about talking about <laughs> instinctive shooting and things like that. But I think it uh, that's how conversations happen around a campfire too. You know, yeah. you just end up – it can go any direction. So, no, we'll, we'll, we'll just plan another time to maybe try to get anal about talking more about hunting experiences and stocks and harvests and deboning and packing out and that kind of stuff next time.
2: No, no, for sure. I think that'd be good. And I think it'd be good because you're getting um, – it'll be interesting – to see how, like Frank and I do it compared to, I mean, you and I aren't that far apart in age really, but I mean, you've probably, I mean, with guiding and everything else, a lot of experience to where I, almost everybody I've talked to it, no matter if it's five years or 15, if they were trained correctly or learn, collect, it's almost always the same. There ain't a mm-hmm. whole lot of difference, but it'll be interesting to do a podcast about that, especially breaking down an animal, just field craft in general, um, you know, some of the things you do compared to what we're doing, if there's any difference.
1: And I got the advantage of, you know, doing it for such a long time for not only myself, but 10 clients a year. Yeah. I mean, so um, it uh, you, you learn a lot of stuff. And, you know, my grandpa used to carry an axe and a saw. Yeah. And I carry around a two inch blade, Yeah. you know, and it's just. That's where uh, we're at. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> and I haven't gutted an animal, I don't think, in 10 years, you know. Oh, man. That's what. <laughs> Alabama. Al. Well, Alex, I shot that antelope. I, felt, I was kind of embarrassed.
2: He's like, you want to gut that? And I'm like, man, I haven't gut an animal in a long fucking time. And uh, I said, like, I'll do it. And, of course, I hit the guts of me. I was trying to be <laughs> careful, but I just hit them. And I said, I got to be honest with you, Alex, I don't I don't think I've gut an animal 20 years. I said at least 15. And he's like, oh, you debone them? And I'm like, yeah, man, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't gut them. I, I like you know. I just don't, and uh, I didn't know. I mean, I say, it, say I didn't know
1: how. I know how. Uh-huh. Fuck, I was rusty. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, antelope's the only thing I have gutted because uh, everything deer and elk and sheep and stuff like that. I'm putting in my backpack. Yeah. So, and I can get to those inner loins, just in my sleep, you know, without gutting them. Um, so, I haven't. But it is having all these different clients, seasoned hunters that are bow hunters uh, that are that you, you feel that because they're on this dull sheep hunt. They've got a lot of animals under their belt. And then they're they're watching you cape. You're, they're watching – because a lot of these things are life sizes. They're watching you cape. They're watching your quarter. And then have that whole thing in your backpack in 45 minutes. They're like, man, this would have taken me a half a day. Yeah. I mean this is just
2: – yeah, We might as well keep talking about this. That's a- <laughs> So one thing is the amount – I just saw a guy post the amount of weight packing out an elk. So to me, I've always used the 30% rule. You get 30 pounds of deboned meat if you take everything – uh, of the animals' gross weight, so if it's a thousand pounds, you get three hundred pounds of deboned meat, roughly. Uh, would you agree or disagree with that?
1: Uh, starting at a thousand pounds is—I uh, mean, I don't know of any elk that are that big. Well, well there you have some... it. That proves my point. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the guy said
2: we wasted meat on one of the videos because I we had a hundred and eighty-six pounds Man, that's of so deboned. Many fucking
0: internet. Yeah. Uh, internet experts out there. So though. we had 186
2: Good pounds learn. of deboned meat and uh, didn't take the ribs and uh, took most of neck meat, but not all of it. So if, you know, you do the math, that's still a healthy Colorado elk. Um, mm-hmm. So I was trying to explain mathematically. If it's 500 pounds, you get 150 Um uh, you know, or whatever. So you get 30 pounds. So yeah, about 150. And I said, in this elk we shot, I figured it was 650 pounds, which is a pretty big Colorado elk. It Not is. giant, but good size. That's a mature elk. And I can pack out half of that without blinking an eye. Fucking t- and you can too, and so can Frank. Guy said it was impossible for a guy to pack out two people to pack out one bull. And I said, well, three and a half year old bull, I know many people that can pack out half of a deboned Bull because it ain't very much weight, and I'm like, look, I've shot bulls that so we only got 150 pounds on. I took a lot of meat, like I didn't leave any to mm-hmm. waste. Would you agree with most of what
1: I'm? I, I agree. I mean, there was a, I mean, when you, by the time you debone, I mean, I'll never carry a bone, especially on a shoulder. I mean, that's the shoulder weighs probably 25 percent, 25 percent more of the bone than than the meat. Yeah. So I debone the shoulder. So if you take a deboned shoulder. I throw that in my meat bag with my back straps, with a back strap and both inner loins, and then a hind quarter, I'm off the hill. That's half an elk. And I'm not killing myself. Yeah. And go back up there, and then I'm getting the other half an elk. And with one of those trips, I had the horns on my back. And the other trip, it was an animal I wanted to cape. I had a cape the second trip, so I'm faking it out in two trips, and that's and I've shot some mature bulls.
2: Yeah, well, so the biggest bull I shot's in Oregon, and it was close to a thousand pounds Roosevelt, because they get that. They, big. Well, that's yeah, a yeah. that's a different yeah. subspecies. Yeah. So. so, but Colorado, if you have your camp and shit, you're forty pounds, and then if you shoot a three and a half to four and a half year old bull, you're about ninety pounds or so. Um, So you're looking 130 pounds. Most guys I know can carry 130 pounds. Not everybody, and a lot of guys like to stick to 80, but when you're young and dumb or old and hard-headed, you can fucking carry whatever you want. (laughs) Well, that was my point. Like, man, this isn't impossible. I'm not saying people should do it, but 130 pounds is doable, especially if it's downhill. Now, I'm not climbing fucking Mount Evans, right, with 130 pounds, but I can come down it, Mm -hmm. right? And that was my point. Well, the other thing, too, is the meat wasting thing or whatever, like, well, you're wasting a lot of meat. And it's like, if you weigh everything and you figure it out, I've gotten I would have got a ticket, right? There's not much being wasted. And then the other thing too is meat care. It's not that difficult to keep your meat. I mean, unless you're in Arizona, I'm talking Colorado. There's what I call an ecothermal corridor, cooler pockets all over the place. And then once we let it drip and cool and rotate the meat inside the bag, if we're staying in, I put it in a waterproof bag and dump it in the creek. It's like a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Doesn't get wet. It's cold as fuck. Put a rock on the top. We can hunt five more days. I've never had a problem doing that. I never have either. And I get guys that tell me, and I've done it in garbage bags. Like, and I've, I don't want to fucking argue about it anymore because it's not an arguable <laughs> subject. I'm not dead, and I've done it my whole life. I'm not talking Apple Glad scent free bags, but contractor bags. When I've put it in the water, I've put it in contractor bags, and I haven't had a problem. It's in a game bag still, so Mm -hmm. it's not even touching the meat. I've been told I am stupid in every different language known to man by putting it in a contractor bag, the game bag inside that into a creek. I've never had a problem with that either.
1: No. Now, common sense would tell you or anybody out there, I mean, that if you put uh, especially deboned meat into a garbage bag, set it in the sun— uh, you, you're, you're a retard. I yeah. mean, it's gonna, yeah. it's, it's gonna, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, gonna turn, it's gonna turn to soup. Yeah. So, but if you got somebody out there, I mean, I would, I exercise that so much in Alaska where we will put it in a game bag and submerge it to keep the smell from the the grizzly bears coming into our camp. Yeah. And we'll put it underground, uh, underwater because they can't smell it under the water. Yeah. And we are using the contractor fricking. You know, waterproof bags. So, I mean, it's 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 100 about field care. And what I do, as far as it's hanging hind quarter, hind quarters, that, that the femur bone and stuff like that don't weigh a whole lot. Yeah, I like keeping those together. It makes it easy to hang. Yeah, Not, but, front but, quarter. Uh, but the front quarters, I debone 100. I don't, I don't mess those around. I, even the front quarters, as far as hanging, I leave it on there. So if I killed or my buddy killed, and we're still up there, we got to harvest another elk that stays in the shade. We pick out an area where it's always that cool pocket you're talking about mm-hmm. and keep the flies off of it. And d a bone meat, what I do is I shove a stick down in there, two or three sticks down on my D bone meat so it doesn't so it separates it a lot better. Yep. And let that air get down to it. The hind quarter, I will take my scalpel blade, my knife, and get that away from the femur so you don't get that bone rot. And put something up in there to kind of pull that away from the bone. And it is just – it melts in your mouth. A round steak will be like a like a backstrap. We were talking because
2: I let my moose hang three days. Fuck, I'd kill 10 men to get a chunk of that meat. It is – that good. Yeah. Now, we I didn't have to worry about uh, bone sour too much because it was cold as shit. But um, that's another thing, too. If you got to leave an animal overnight, this is what I do. I take the guts, dump them if I have to, if we got to leave it overnight. I'll split that chest cavity open with a stick, leave it open. And then I'll take a cut down the back straps and peel that to peel the back open. If we got to bounce quick, that hardly ever happens. But if you put If it's hot and you put all your deboned meat in the bag and you don't rotate it, like you're talking sticks, Mm -hmm. that can be a problem. So we'll rotate it, take the meat from the inside to the outside. Same thing as like you let air cool in there, but it's a bone. I don't know what's going on. We got somebody beating on something. The longer you let it sit in cool weather, the better the meat tastes. So you're not, in my opinion, you're not doing anything wrong to the meat, letting the shit drain and age. Go ahead.
1: No, I mean, it's... it's, it's I have that wild game party I'm talking to you about and I don't know how many wives come over and they like slapped their husband up beside the face. How come your elk don't taste like this? Yeah. I would eat elk every day for dinner if your elk tastes like this or your deer tastes like this. Yeah. And it's because you let it age. And and if anybody saw beef before they butcher it, it's got like a three-eighths of an inch of mildew on the outside of it because let it age for like 30 days. Yeah. In a controlled environment, 30 degrees. But, you know, they use a lot of that. That's a byproduct from penicillin. So they get – they sell that that stuff that comes off that meat, that, that uh, allergy that comes off that meat. If they saw it, they would never eat another steak. Yeah. But that's what makes it so freaking tender. It's no different than wild game. you got to – yeah, you might throw away that eighth inch of uh, skin that got hard on the outside of that meat. Yeah. But by God, I'm eating that whole freaking animal. I'm not throwing it away the following year because it got freezer burnt.
2: Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. And I, I think that – you know, talking about stuff like this, and the younger generation hearing it from someone like you or me or whatever, Frank, but that um, have done it for a long, long, long time. So obviously, you've done a lot longer than me. Uh, and Frank, that when you get, would you internet heroes that say you can't do that? Well, you can because people have been doing it forever, mm-hmm. right? You can. I, I'm not saying put it in a scented glad bag, but for me, if I – will, because it will even go, like, for cooling. I'll get a creek and get a log going over a creek and hang that meat bag from the creek dripping because it's cooler, right? Coming under right. the creek in the right bottom. And then I'll rotate that meat in there. I mean, I just – the longer I've let it sit, the better that shit tastes. Oh, That's it uh, how it is.
1: My game bag, I put the whole front shoulder in there. So what I'll do is the middle of it, that usually goes over that log that you're talking about. So you got – uh, you know, 15 pounds on this side, 15 pounds on this side. So the following day, you mix it all together. Then you make another, you just let them hang yeah. over both sides again. So you are rotating that meat. You're you're keeping it, uh, the air cooled. You're keeping it, all that stuff, or whether you're refrigerating it by submerging in a stream or, or a high altitude lake. Uh, there's ways to do it, and it should be done. I mean, even if you get at home, find a locker. A meat locker doesn't necessarily have to be a butcher. Just find a locker that says, hey, man, I don't want you to butcher this thing today. I want it to age for a week. Mm-hmm. Put it in your locker and let it stay cool because I am live here in Denver and I have nowhere to put it. Would you please put it in your locker a week before you butcher this thing? Yeah, I mean, and that would be so uh, so much more appealing to the family. So many families are like, my wife won't cook it. She won't like it. My kids think it has a wild game taste. It's like you just shake your head because you
2: know what they could be eating. Well, Amy's a good example of that because she, she didn't eat – She didn't eat any meat when I met her. Well, she ate turkey, I guess. And shit, we eat elk, moose, mule deer every night now. I mean, but a lot of it's the way that he and I take care of it and and the way we prepare it. But again, I mean, if if I'm on a multiple animal, like if Frank and I are hunting mule deer and elk and we got four total tags in our pocket... I mean, minus being able to physically get it out, I never stress in Colorado about shooting multiple animals um, because of how I've been able or learned to handle the meat. And the fact it's actually tasted better the longer it sat, it was never like a, a stress point for me. Now, it's different in different states totally. In Arizona, mm-hmm. I can understand. But but here in Idaho, Wyoming, I've never... Um, Montana, I mean, other areas I've hunted, I've never had an issue with doing it that way. And I carry... A Tido, It's like a Havlon, whatever, interchangeable scalpel blade. And then I carry a really lightweight, small fixed blade. That's all I carry. I mean, I used to pack a Wyoming saw. So. Why? I have no fucking idea. Yeah, because your <laughs> yeah. grandpa
1: did yeah. or somebody did. Our, yeah. Th- that's, that's, and that's exactly what I carry. And the only reason I carry the fixed blade is to sometimes get around the, I mean, if I'm th- the horns or whatever, the skull plate, yeah. those, you know, scalpel blades, you put any pressure on them, they're going to break. But other than that, uh, a, a scalpel blade and a two-inch fixed blade, and I'm rocking and a rolling, and I can take care. And because we we have to in, in Alaska, we have to have the field care. So here's another good point, as far as know what animals weigh and things like that. In Alaska, it's called want and waste. Yeah, no other states do it, and it. So you have – they already know how much meat is a, a doll sheep supposed to weigh. They already know how much meat a, a caribou moose. So. Whenever and, – and it is a ticket. It goes against my guidelines and if I get a and waste, then I lose my license. I don't make a living in Alaska no more. Jonah gets nailed and he probably has to give that client another hunt because we didn't do everything correctly. So we have to know how to cape, roll, turn the lips, roll the ears, all that kind of stuff because all that kind of stuff is going to be taxidermy, especially a doll sheep. So – but as far as deboning it and getting all that kind of stuff out, we got it down to a science because we have to. Yeah. They – they'll – I mean, they'll flat – you land your plane, they're out there with a the scale. Yeah. Or they'll get down to your old deboning mate and they'll lay down a big piece of paper and they'll put down the, the forearm meat over here. OK, here's the two front legs. Here's the calf on the two back legs. Here's the two inner loins. Here's Here's your rib meat. Because you got to take out all edible meat, yeah. all edible meat. So they'll lay it all out like, okay, you're good to go. I mean, it is – so I've taken this because I've been doing it for 30 years over there. I've taken that back to anywhere I hunt as far as just – it's just in my subconscious to just take all that meat. So yeah. I'm coming back to what you say as far as an elk, what an elk weighs. So many people, it's an illusion. They're shooting these 1,000-pound elk. It's just uh, uh, Colorado elk, uh, yeah. Rocky Mountain elk. So, I mean, a, a, a really big bull – you know, deboned hind quarter is going to be f- between 45 and 55 pounds. Yep. You know, then you got your front shoulder, you got another 15 pounds there, then a backstrap and interloin, your back pass is going to be weighing between 90 and 120 pounds. You got to figure a, a
2: mo- majority of mule deer is 65 pounds of deboned meat to 70. Yep. Um, yep. So you, that's another thing that I, you know, when somebody says they've they got 100 pounds of of Debo meat off of a mule deer I'm like what the fuck are you shooting (laughs) right I mean I've never even heard of anything like that like Again, the thirty percent rule. A two hundred and fifty pound mule deer is a good sized mule deer. There's, they make them weigh. That one I shot was over three hundred in, in Alberta. The ones but, in
1: Kansas that are corn fed. Yeah, that's where you get those hundred pounds of deboned meat.
2: yep and I mean that one in Alberta. But even still, you're talking a three hundred and fifty pound mule deer, right? So for a two hundred pound mule deer, which I would say one eighty five to two twenty is a high country mule deer, roughly. Um, you got. 30 pounds for every 100. Well, that's 60 pounds for a 200-pound deer. So 60 to 70 pounds of deboned meat. That's not a fucking arguable point, right? Like if you took a photo of that mule deer in the high country and you got 100 pounds of deboned meat off of it, people would be more concerned of the body than they was the rack because, uh-huh. I, you know, they're just that big, I guess, for me. Yep. So, again, it's I think a lot of that's internet Hero Experts, shit. yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: and then the places that you are shooting a three hundred pound deer, whether it's Alberta, <laughs> whether it's Kansas or Nebraska, these Going cornfield deal, the back of the truck, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it's flatland. You drive to the deer anyways, yeah, yeah, so it's not you're not even putting it in your backpack. So yeah. how would you freaking know? Um, so uh, you're spot on as far as I mean, anybody that's saying you know the guys that get chased, chasing well. Aaron and Harold and and Frank have uh, said that they can put an elk in their backpack. Well, the, not not the elk that I shoot. I shoot thousand pounders. I mean, they're they are they're de- delusional. I mean, yeah. just yeah. It, it, in it, Colorado. No, yeah. and I
2: I we packed Colton's elk out whatever that five and a half miles. I mean, now I will say I was fucked up. Like it took a lot for me to do that, but we had seven days of gear, ninety five millimeter spotter, the whole nine yards, the rack, and we split it up. But we made it out. Now. I wouldn't want to do that every day. No. But yeah, we did it. I mean, we made it.
1: Well, I'm in those stupid place where I say, okay, I'm not going to shoot anything unless it's a 350 bull because it's just too far back in here. Then I end up shooting a 250 bull. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so then – but I end up volleying my meat. I'll go – I'll take it two and a half miles, go back and get it two and a half miles. And from here, two and a half miles. Then go back. Get the, just keep volleying it all the way back to where by the time I get a mile from my truck, I got – both loads a mile from my truck. Yeah. You know, and just kind of pace yourself like that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, that's one thing I talked about with him when we were coming down. I'm like, look, if you can't make it, dude, we got... We k- killed it on the second day of a seven-day hunt. We <laughs> we got time, right? We can chill. Yeah. Let's eat the back straps, right? No big deal. So you, uh, me, I was too hard-headed and I'd been gone too much, so I didn't want to get out. But it can be done. And I think um, to the
1: terrain, depending, if it was a lot of uphill, I'd have to volley it. I'd have to
2: leapfrog that's it. that's what I mean. Yeah, you know,
1: Get back into those places where you, sh- I'm going to say shouldn't be, but you know what's going to be work.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, for, for sure.
1: Well, yeah. Well, we're hitting two hours now, so okay. we should probably
2: get to... <laughs> Rock and roll. Oh, Lord. All right, man. Thanks for coming yeah. on, man. We Thank really you, appreciate it. We're going to have to keep yeah. you on as a regular. Cause Let's yeah. look forward to it. Yeah. Cool. All righty. Thanks for tuning in.